This is the Timepieces History Podcast, and this is a bonus episode. In this interview, Gudrun talks to Paul Couchman, the Regency Cook, about his cookery classes, the restoration work on the Regency Townhouse in Brighton, who he'd like to meet if he went back in time, and the surprising success of the housekeeper, Mrs Finnegan. Good morning, Paul. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm really excited about today's interview. Um, how are you? I hope Brighton's sunnier than the Newcastle. It's chucking it down here. So um, I'm in my back bedroom at the moment and the, the sky is grey outside and it looks like it's just about to start to rain. Oh, no. Oh, you've got it as well. It's, I've cursed you now. Sorry. About that. No, so I'm really happy to be here with my cup of coffee next to me in my room. I'm talking to you about food and about history. Yeah, well, they're two of my my favourite things. So I've um, I'm in our I've set up a desk in our spare room, and the dog is is here, but you won't see her because she likes to sleep, and uh, she's already in the hoof this morning because we made her go out and she doesn't like getting wet. She's actually not speaking to me, so she you you definitely won't be disturbed by her. Um, so if it's all right, we'll just um we'll crack on because we've got some good stuff to talk about today. Um, so the first question, um. Could you tell the listeners a little bit, a little bit about what it is you do, um, please, and your interest in history? Because uh, you do some pretty good stuff. So I, my main task here, so at the Regency Townhouse, which is obviously closed now. So I, I just say the Regency Townhouse is a project um, based in a very beautiful old historic house, which is on the seafront in Hove. Um, and basically the whole house is being restored. And as it's being restored, there are also people working on research and history. And my role in all of this is um, I do the social media, so I make sure people know about the townhouse and about what we do. Um, I'm also, next to that, I'm also running my own food and history business. So I'm um, in the business of educating people about food yep. and about history. Yep. And I'm very lucky to do all of this, usually anyway, in a very beautiful 1830s kitchen, which is in the basement of the building and which I helped to restore. I know that you you do the the cooking. Are there any were there any challenges with with the kitchen with restoring it or you know is is authenticity a key? Did you did you have to think about particular types of ovens and equipment? Was was that something that you you had to think about um, as part of the restoration process for the kitchen? So when the kitchen was restored, when the when the room was restored, there was no real thought about the kitchen as a working kitchen. That all came later. So what we did in the restoration is basically put the building back together again using traditional techniques. So, so for example, all the carpentry was put back in the same place. We've used old, if you know, crown glass, that old glass has gone back yeah. in the windows. It's that, if, for people who don't know, it's that lovely ripply glass you get in old buildings. Yeah. So we put that back as well. So, you know, when the light shines through that, you can see the shadows on the floor. Um, what else? Uh, the lime plaster. So the, all the plaster on the wall had come off. We replaced it with lime plaster, which is an old traditional way of putting plaster on the walls. So the idea about lime plaster is it breathes. So the whole building can breathe, especially important in, in basements. And so we've got a lovely restored kitchen, which we now use to cook in. And just on your question about equipment, we use very modern equipment because what, what we're really concerned about is that people are able to eat the stuff we make. Yep. <laughs> so we have, yeah, so we have to follow all these, you know, health and safety uh, guidelines and stuff to, to make sure it's safe. Yeah. But, but yeah, that, that's why. Yeah. Yeah. So you're not like one of those, um, the reenactors, they call it, what do they call them, Orphies, who uh, 
you know, go around in, you know, bare feet and you don't use any modern stuff. So you, you do use modern stuff. That's uh, <laughs> that's quite good. We're sort of a hybrid between the two because we're doing it in the old kitchen, but we are using sort of slightly modern techniques to, to be enable us to do it. Yeah. But I mean, most important to me, you know, especially when you're cooking historically, is that you're bringing life back to a, a space. You know, you're doing stuff in that space that would have happened there. Yeah. So you've got the smells and the textures and, you know, the, even the activities that you're doing are the same ones that they would have done in that space. Yep. So I think it's a way of, well, I'll keep going on about this, we're bringing history back to life. Yeah. Oh, I think, well, I, you know, I think it's, I think it's a great thing that you do and, Hopefully one day I'll be able to come down and, and see the kitchen in, in person. Or you've been doing a lot of tours. Um, so I know you've you've been working on the the restoration of the townhouse for a long time. Um, and I think I probably already know some of the answers to this. But what have um, what has been the biggest challenge for the project um, and the biggest success, um, in your opinion? So the continuing challenge, and I think everyone who's got... Um, encounters with any heritage project will know is money <laughs> it's yeah. just impossible so we have to do everything we can to earn money to do um what we do in restoration so often you know for years we can stop because we have no funding whatsoever mm-hmm. suddenly we'll get a bit of funding and then another room will suddenly magically appear um and <laughs> and the reason we can do all that i mean i do the dining event called dine like a servant which is basically when we cook for people and they come and come and eat with us and then they pay for the privilege yeah um, and that's a great way of, um, of earning money so that gets over that challenge anyway so you know, the cooking yeah. itself can can help the restoration um what was the second question so i missed that so your um what would you say is the biggest success okay so it was when person anyway my, my biggest success is when i actually brought the dining room back to life so i used the kitchen to cook the food that would have been cooked in the kitchen and then it got taken up to the dining room and yep. we had a group of people around the table, some of them dressed in Regency costumes, ate the food back, you know, imagine it. So we went, we tried and travelled back to the 1830s and people yeah. sat around that table and sat in the candlelight there in, the, in that dining room and um, enjoyed the food that the people of the house probably would have eaten back in the 1830s. Yeah. So we literally brought food back to life, um, but history back to life with the food. Yeah. So, um, and how does it work for the for people if they want to come and cook? You know, what's um, before they have the opportunity to eat? Do you do it in in sort of pairs? Um, is there a sort of restriction on the the numbers? And do they do they bring the their own ingredients, or does the um, does the cost of the session include you supplying the the ingredients for them? How does that work? So I usually separate the two things out. So we have like dining events where people just come to dine. And then I get cookery courses where people come to cook. And then we just, we have a small group we eat in the, in the kitchen together. Yep. So, but I do get some people, we had one more lady who came all the way from America. She came early to the event and she actually spent, instead of sitting at the table, she actually spent the um, evening, she paid for it as well. She spent the evening with us working in the kitchen. Oh, wow. And she absolutely <laughs> loved it. And she said it was better than sitting at the table. So. Oh, well, that, that's lovely. <laughs> yeah. She was the Americans love life. history, don't they? So they it's, do. yeah. yeah. And I still speak to her. I still got connections with her. You know, this was a few years ago, so it's, it's lovely, lovely. Oh, well, it'd be nice if she can if she can come back one day mm. when when the Americans are allowed out, if they're mm. ever allowed out. Indeed. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Um, so we're talking a lot about about cooking. Um, this isn't a question I plan to ask you, but it's an obvious one. Um, 
And I know that you, because I follow you on Twitter, you share a lot of recipes. What is your favourite recipe, or is the one that you would you would always go to that's uh, an easy one to cook that really sort of you know is evocative of of the time period? Because there's some some of the recipes you share look amazing. Some of them look fairly revolting. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, I would eat most things, so I think I think I would try any of them once. But uh, there's some so- funny recipes. So, I mean, obviously that changes all the time and it's hard to, it's hard for me to pick up one, but I am going to go really seasonally now because it is what we, we're recording this in September, aren't we? Yep. Um, so I'm going to go for a pumpkin pie. And you, ah. might, you might think a pumpkin pie is, um, is, is quite modern, but it isn't. So the recipe I'm going for is one by Amelia Simmons. So she wrote a cookbook um, back in the 1780s. And I've made the pie and it's delicious. And I've cooked it for lots of people as well. Oh. And it's something, if the world was different, <laughs> if we didn't have COVID, I'd be down there in the kitchen making this now. So, you know, yeah. it's a recipe I'm, I'm, that's quite dear to me. And it's delicious. Do you like pumpkin pie? Not everyone does, but... I, I, you know, I don't often have it. I think I only ever have it at Halloween because despite yeah. the fact that I'm uh, 30, <coughs> my father still carves me a pumpkin every year. And oh, then... Bless. My mother, my mother always commandeers the the leftover pumpkin. Hey, yeah, I quite like it. I suppose what surprises me about about the fact that that's a, an old recipe is I, I don't really think a pumpkin is something we had in in Britain. I mean, when I was a kid, our our um, Halloween lanterns were always Swede. So I, I kind of imagine that pumpkin is something that's recently arrived on these shores, but obviously that that can't be the case. No, I mean, but this is this is an American recipe, but I do have recipes from the 1680s where they use pumpkin as well in Britain. So we were using it. We just stopped using it for some reason. You know, they were around and then they disappeared. And then is that was now. Yeah, it's, it's things going in out of fashion, don't they? It's... Yeah, well, I did. I hadn't really realised that. Yeah, mm. but it makes sense. I mean, we have plenty of other sorts of squashes and gourds and things, don't we? So there's yeah. there's no reason not to have had. Um, to have had pumpkin um well i could could just eat pumpkin pie now with a cup of Mm. tea i'm thinking about it as well (laughs) (laughs) that would be lovely um so my my next question is is quite a an interesting one um i've already said follow the the regency townhouse on on twitter um but i've also been following during lockdown um the the housekeeper who um who was feisty and opinionated and she looks like she's been going through the master's um, drinks cabinet. I'm not sure if that's right. Um, but Mrs. Finnegan's been holding down the fort over the last few months. Can you tell me a bit more about her, please? Yeah, so Mrs. Finnegan, um, I should say at this point, Mrs. Finnegan is fictional. She doesn't really exist. Um, <laughs> and she's a creation of two of us. So me, I do, I do the social media side of it, really. But I also collaborate with Bridget Whelan, who's a writer. And she writes the blog post every week, which goes out. So Mrs. Finnegan is a bit of an agony aunt and answers um, readers' questions in, you know, sort of 1830s style. So the 1830s, um, usually servants' dilemmas. Yeah. And she also says what's going on in her life. So from March onwards, she's been alone in the townhouse. So the, the family have left. Mm-hmm. And she's, unlike all of us, or like a lot of people out there, she's alone in the house. Um, she doesn't know what to do. <laughs> she finds things to do. 
<laughs> I mean, some of the tweets, you know, she's, go, she's going for the, like you said, she's going, <laughs> check, she um, cleans things in the wine cellar and keeps breaking bottles, you know, by accident. You know, you know, <laughs> happens. And the butler left the key by accident, which was never a good idea. So, um, and she also tries on her mistress's dresses and um, tests out the bed and, you know, things like that. But yeah. what she does offer, what we find she offers, she offers some sort of consolation to mm. people because she's going through this sort of intense loneliness and, and talks about it. But she's also funny, so there's, there's humour yes, in there. You yes, know. You, you like that? I, I love... I, I keep, I'm not sure if I've actually subscribed to the blog, because I, keep, I, I, do. Keep, I think yeah. I read it on Twitter and I keep looking for the link. Um, yeah. But I read all of her her problem, problem pages and yep. her, her advice. She reminds me a bit of... Um, Mrs. Mills, who who used to do the column in the Sunday Times, I don't know if she still does. That ah. kind of not very sympathetic to <laughs> to people, but you know, yes. still giving her opinion, which is nice. Yeah, I mean, it's a way. What we try and do, we use uh, fiction and humour um, to get people interested in history. Yep. So we kind of, you know, she's funny, and also what she's doing, more importantly, because the townhouse is shut and nothing's actually happening inside the building. To keep it in mind is quite tricky, you know, on social media. So that's yeah. kind of the reason I invented her. Because every time people think about Mrs Finnegan, you know, they will think about the townhouse. And so our project will carry on living, even though we're, we're you know, we're empty and we're, we're shut down. People will still remember us. And hopefully then, when we open again, they think, oh, that lovely townhouse, you know, that's kept us amused through lockdown, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that's the idea anyway. And, and we love doing it because it's a way um, for the two of us to sort of work together yeah. And remotely, I haven't seen I haven't seen Bridget in, in person since March, but yeah. we correspond all the time because of this Mrs. Finnegan character. It's lovely, yeah. lovely project to um, to be involved in these times. Also, she's helped me through lockdown. You know, in those periods in March where I felt terrible, yeah. I could always I could always retreat into Mrs. Finnegan. I'm <laughs> <laughs> home for a little, little yeah, a few minutes just to escape everything. I think um, I, I would think that she will help you help. Um, people remember the tenor because she talks a lot doesn't she about about going out and sort of into the park and and the neighbors and the the big the other townhouses around so <laughs> yeah. i think you, it sort of the way i always imagine it um it's like that scene in mary poppins <laughs> yes. um yeah. uh, you know with all the, the the houses and also like all of a twist you know with the, yeah. that very sort of london side which i assume is the same sort of down in brighton and hove yeah and i've only been in brighton once but that kind of you know that sort of you square you know, the townhouses round it. That's how I imagine it, anyway. It's very so if similar. that's not true, don't tell me because that's how well, I'm imagining it. The only, the only difference, you know, those London ones, they don't tend to have great big bits of grass in the middle like we have. So we've got this yeah. great big bit of grass in the middle. So the houses yeah. are quite far apart in a way. Yeah. Uh, close together on, on the terraces, but it's actually quite a long way to get from one side of the square <laughs> to the other. So <laughs> it's lovely. It's very beautiful. When you'll see it when you when you visit, it's a very beautiful square as well. So that Mrs. Finnegan has sort of taken on a, a life of her own, and mm. that must have been, you know, a, a nice sort of a nice surprise and a sort of positive sort of byproduct of, of the lockdown. That you know, she's because I, I, I when I when I'm on Twitter, I see a lot of people engaging with her, and she's got a lot of followers. So that must be really really nice to see something that you've created has has sort of grown. Sort of grown legs. She is. She would have legs. But you know what I mean. That that people have have really sort of taken it to heart, and uh, you know, a bit unexpected. But but probably as you said, exactly what people need. You know, is somebody relatable, and you know, 
who's struggling gets, like the rest of us. She gets more emails than I do at the moment. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> and she's not even real. <laughs> what? No, she must be real. <laughs> I know it's a bit like that. It's a bit like Father Christmas or something. But, and I, I'm waiting. You know, when we actually open again, I can't wait for the curator to open the door and for people to say, now, where's this Mrs. Finnegan? You know, where is she? Yeah. <laughs> we You'd have to set up a little, a little, um, like the like the butler would have his pantry. You'll have to give Mrs. Finnegan yeah. her own. No, she's got a room. She's got a room at the front. Yeah, yeah. Oh, she's yeah. got a room. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, but we are going to have to. You're right. We're going to have to put little things that um, identify with her. So when people come in, they can say, "Oh, she's just, she's just left." You know. You, oh, you just <laughs> missed her. What a shame. Yeah. Oh, I, I really, I really enjoy that, and I really like like what you've done, and you know that she's she's certainly struck a chord with people, which is. Which is good. So, um, my my sort of standard question, um, and I has, again, this is one that's probably fairly obvious, um, but it's if you could spend a day in history, um, mm. when would it be, and which person from history would you like to meet? Right, I thought about this, and um, this is my, this might sound a bit odd, but um, I actually want to go back to the townhouse's kitchen. Mm-hmm. So I want to walk through the basement. I want to go back to 1830 I want to walk through the basement door. I want to hear the voice of the servant as I move down the corridor. And then when I push the kitchen door open, I want to work with them yeah. um, making food and tasting things and helping out. And then we'll go upstairs and put all the, all the food on the table. Um, and I want to open every cupboard drawer and every, <laughs> every you know, write, write down whatever, everything I see. And then I want to come back to 2020 and I want to recreate the kitchen exactly as I'd seen it. Yeah. And I want to invite a group of people to eat the same meal that I helped to make. Fantastic. Um, is it, you, at that point in time, would, would a, a chef or a cook have been male? Because, you know, when you watch things yeah. like, I mean, Downton Abbey is obviously a lot more recent, but when you watch all of these sort of historical fiction dramas, the person in charge of the kitchen tends to be a woman. Would there have been any men doing doing the the cooking? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, men are expensive. <laughs> and, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's the thing, I mean, because of the disparity in wages. So yeah. um, if you could afford one, if you were rich and could afford one, you want, you'd want a male uh, cook. And was fu- what's funny, I was reading through the book, sometimes they didn't actually do much. They were more there, you know, to, <laughs> to advertise, you know, to, to, you know, I've got one. And then you'd let other people do the work because they're cheaper. But, yeah. um, you know, so he would like wander around, you know, looking fantastic because um, there are examples of chefs who were like that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's like that now, but and the women actually did all the work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, especially um, maybe in a house like the Thomas, they might be, they might be would have hired um, a chef in for a special occasion. Yeah. So they could say to the people at the table, someday our meal is being created by this, you know, this French maybe, this French gentleman yeah. downstairs. But normally, yeah, as you're saying, most of the people, most of the cooks were women. Mm-hmm. And most of the cookery writers, I don't know if you've gone into this at all, there were um, between 1700 and 1800, about 300 cookery books published, wow. you know, quite a lot for that period. Yeah. And most of those were actually written by women for women. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, and those are the books I delve into. So it was very, you know, very female dominated, yeah, which, yeah, in a really good way. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so those books, were they... Were they aimed at, at housewives rather than than you know a, a cook who would be in a in a townhouse? They would be aimed at at sort of housewives having to cook their own food for their families. 
Well, yeah, exactly. Maybe not housewives cooking for themselves, but they they would be instructing the servants to cook for okay. them. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. They're definitely because there was basically. I mean, from the seventeen, I'll go into a bit of detail. Seventeen forty-seven, you get Hannah Glass coming along, and yeah. she's very popular because she appeals to these new type of people who have to cook um, dinners. Because as people get richer, they have they want to make better food, yeah. and so the people lower down the scale need books, and and she fills that gap. And Hannah yeah. Glass was incredibly popular. Of course, you get Eliza Acton coming after her. Another very popular cook, and of course, Mrs. Beaton. Who doesn't know Mrs. Yeah. Beaton? Yes, she comes gay and after Eliza Acton. But you know, three very strong, very successful um, mm. women cookery writers. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I could, I could. What if I started? I don't think I'd. I think I'd just lose hours of my my day. I mean, I've got my I've got my grandma's recipe books, which were actually her mother's. Oh, you know, so I've got some of the sort of the. Um, everything within which was a sort of early early 20th century you know how to do everything and even even then which is probably not even 100 years old the the differences in in the styles and the ingredients and and stuff is really interesting so I think um one of the things I've been doing a lot in in France is um is exploring the the local history. Then there's a lot of medieval stuff, mm. but there aren't a lot of medieval cookery books. I think there's only one or two sort of obvious ones. So that it, that would be a bit of a, a side project to sort of delve into the the medieval cookery and cookery stuff and see what we could find there because that would be that would be quite interesting. But I, yeah, I think um, if I if I had them, I would just I'd spend all of my time in the in the kitchen and probably never get anything done. So try and avoid them <laughs> i was going to give you a book reckon recommendation then there's a woman so I, I name her now anyway because it might be useful for readers as well there's a woman called barbara wheaton who's written an incredible book on the history of french cookery oh that sounds good yeah and you'll really like that and she's the fun the great thing about her she's actually quite funny <laughs> So Good. Lots of, I like lots that. Of, lots of really funny stories about I don't know all sorts of things, but I mean, I, I loved it. So I mean, I just I've just got through that, um, and that's really worth getting your hands on because it, it just explains. Um, it goes right through. It rushes through the whole period, right through yeah. um, from the beginning, the medieval up to about eighteen hundred. So yeah. Oh right, I'm going straight to Amazon. Uh, other other booksellers are available. I should add, um, but I'll go and I'll go and dig that one out. Um, so I don't think I've got any other questions for you. Um, could you share for us, please, um, how people can find out more about about the townhouse, about your um, cooking, and of course the fabulous Mrs. Finnegan? That would be great. And then uh, I'll add them to the show notes for everybody. Sure. So um, my website, first of all, is very easy. It's my name. So it's www.paulcouchman.co.uk. I tweet under the Regency Cook. Mm-hmm. And also I've got an Instagram account under the Regency Cook. Mrs. Finnegan is a bit, it's a bit of an odd one to write. You might have to pop it in the notes because it's got a few underscores and stuff. But it is yep. Mrs. Finnegan. And if you Google Mrs. Finnegan... You have yeah. to ignore the, um, the, the, the Irish one, the Irish-American one. <laughs> but down from there, we come up quite high. So you can, you can find Mrs. Finnegan quite easily on Google. Um, and the townhouse, the townhouse, Regency yeah. townhouse, again, really easy to find on, um, on Google, the Regency townhouse, all of the Twitter accounts, the Instagram account, and the website will pop up in front yeah. of you. Perfect. I will add all of those to the show notes. Um, 
yeah i think that's i think that's everything thank you so much for for your time this morning um and hopefully probably next year if uh by the looks of things i'll be able to come down to to brighton and and eat like a servant which would be fantastic thank you for listening to the time pieces history podcast don't forget to listen next time for more quick history facts